Ballpark Nation presents... Five, four, three, two, one... First pitch. And Alex finds it to the left center field at the base hit. Pitch around third is coming home. Easier up with the baseball. The throw to the plate. Not in time. Astros win. Astros win. Pitch is lifted to right by Cassianos. Long run for Tucker over toward the line and foul territory. Makes the catch and the Houston Astros do it again. 2022 World Series champions. Welcome to Go Go Astros, your look at the two-time World Series champions from three guys who have been here since Art Howe had hair. It is a big week, baseball fans. We um going to wrap up what was a big week last week. Uh, Jose Altuve, Astro for Life. Uh, and we're before we get into what else is happening, we're really excited to announce that we've actually re-signed Brian Arbor to an extension. And as is the tradition, Brian, whether you've been on the team for 12 years or not, you get to put a jersey on. Sweet. This all started when Andy and I were like, why are they giving Hotuvi a jersey? It's literally his fourth extension. I mean, to that point, why did they have a press conference? But <laughs> Sell some tickets. So, exactly. Um, I, I'm sure our fans want to know what I would look like in Astros gear. So, yeah, here we go. It's an yeah. opportunity for you to see that. Uh, and then Andy Tom Cheston is with us as well. Andy, good morning. Good morning. Um, I, I noticed because I was listening now for a few times, um, our intro person doesn't believe Art Howe is a real person, evidently. Yeah. <laughs> like, Art Howe is real? She thinks Howe he's a character in Moneyball. She's like, wait, I thought he was that. Yeah. I sat through some of those early 90s teams. Art Howe is very real. He's very real. Very my, real. My, uh, my uh, nephew is friends with uh, Art Howe's grandson. They go to school together. And so uh, Art Howe has uh, picked up his... Uh, grandson at my uh, sister's house and the question i asked her when, after she after he did that did you think he looked a little like philip seymour Hoffman? <laughs> that no, had to have been the biggest slap in the face because art has always been in shape yeah art how is also personality wise nothing like the character that was portrayed in moneyball so i it that that was a whole interesting take that's not what the show's about today though is it? no it's not we will do some baseball movies as we get closer and spring training gets going but look i want to um before we kind of talk about we have spring training coming up and valentine's day we're gonna do some fun stuff i do have to be an old man um leeling on a cloud for a second i have not really watched the nfl in years but i think the one thing that bugs me the most is when i sort of came of age watching the nfl it was real football and, and nothing against Patrick Mahomes or anything, but I don't think Patrick Mahomes would have survived in the early nineties playing the way he plays. Am I, am I just being an old man or am I correct? I mean, probably, but nothing to do with what you're talking about. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's easy for us to say that things were tougher or rougher or meaner or, and certainly in some cases there were somebody like night train lane going back to the, 1950s that's not a guy who could play without getting assault charges in today's nfl <laughs> right. now, having said that 
every player is bigger and faster and stronger now. And so I think what you're seeing is sort of the peak of athletic competition versus, all right, well, I got a 300 pound defensive tackle and you've got a 260 pound um, offensive guard. Guess who's going to win that battle every time? Uh, so it's you used to have smaller guys and you had size matchups. You don't have your know, size disadvantage. You don't have that as much anymore in the NFL. It's a bunch of guys who are really, really, really good at their craft. And they play a softer game for whatever reason because of it. Well, they play a softer game. Rules changes. I just remember, Brian, like you'd always get the you get the the um, novelty of a Randall Cunningham whose career ended up going nowhere because you couldn't play that way. Randall, but I can add on to our Moneyball point from earlier because the Moneyball and football is two things. One is no one runs the I formation anymore. You know, no one says let's put as many people as close to the line of scrimmage and play chaos mas macho. Uh, is the philosophy of my high school football coaches. <laughs> Montalban. Yes, and uh, when we were not as macho, um, it didn't go so well. Um, <laughs> But two, that is both spreading teams out, but also, you know, every play is now an option play, but it's an option play where I'm either going to hand the ball off or I'm going to throw the ball. And if you commit to the run after the snap, I'll throw the ball. It is a more efficient game, but that efficiency is, you know, I will detect what you're doing and move against it, which, uh, again, 30 years ago is we'll run a flea thicker every once in a while. I just think Troy Aikman and Joe Montana and those guys would dominate now because you because you can't get hit anymore. Like Troy Aikman's dominated back then. Was he was unconscious when he threw it? So yeah, they dominated back then. The question is, would a Randall Cunningham be better because he'd be Lamar Jackson and he'd be allowed to run the ball twenty times a game? No, I do think like Lamar. I do I do think Randall Cunningham and Vince Young and RG three have way different careers if they play now than if they played then. Vince Young is the first guy to benefit from this because Texas redid its offense from what they had with Phil Sim- with Chris Sims and Major Applewhite to we would like to run this guy to run the ball a bunch. And we don't say the became, word Chris Sims on this show, Brian. Sure. Fair enough. Uh, Major Applewhite, I believe, set the record for a touchdown a handoff. So and uh, he was promptly benched because of it. Cheers. <laughs> Probably pinch because of it. Let's 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 do debates from 20 years ago. Yeah, exactly. But actually, we just Rebel. have some breaking news. We've just learned that Andy, your agent, has just signed you to go go Astros for life. Fantastic. I'm happy to be part of the team. Uh, hold on. This is a shtick we're going with, damn it, whether we like it or not. <laughs> Uh, but for real, Andy, um, I think it was not a – it was the most surpri- unsurprising signing of the, se- of the season, of the offseason, getting Jose Altuve basically for what they're saying is for life. Uh, but why was it important the Astros lock all that up? Hold on. I need to get my collar out on top of my jersey as is, as is tradition with the press signing conference jersey. Um, I mean, how much – I don't know how much more we can add to everything that's kind of come out since last Tuesday. I would like the Astros to stop doing things right after we record, though, because – Oh, uh, my God. It's really annoying. Every free agent they've signed, every every contract extension they've done in the last two years has literally been on a Tuesday right <laughs> after we recorded. It's been like within 12 hours sometimes. It's like, wow. I, I mean, it's a little bit annoying. Um, it, it's for – Fans of my generation, the equivalent of Biggio declining to 
uh, pursue free agency. Like, what is that? 1998, I think, uh, 97. Uh, for older guys, it's signing Nolan Ryan uh, to that first million dollar a year contract. It, it's not only recognizing greatness when you have it, but doing something to maintain that greatness over time. Now we can talk about what those year four and year five of those contracts are going to look like from a playing standpoint. And, and you know, th there's some projections that aren't great, some that are. Uh, but the reality is this is a time where the fans asked for something to happen. They expected something to happen. It actually happened. And it happened in a way that's better for the Astros. And I think most of us were expecting it to. Um, I don't think anybody with any of us were expecting Jose to sign for $125 million. And we talk about that like it's, you know, $1.50, but literally the way that contract's front loaded, the way the signing bonus is structured, uh, it gives the Astros flexibility to do other things. And I know that's going to be a topic of conversation already has been this week about Bregman, about Tucker, about some other guys down the line, but Altuve is so integral to the team and so integral to the identity of the team. He's one of the few guys, when you say face of the franchise, and the Astros have tried to hoist that title on a few guys over the years, Hunter yeah. Pence being um, one of the main ones that I never understood. Jose Altuve has that mantle. He's earned that mantle, and, and he kind of exemplifies that. And as everybody said, it would be very hard for me to imagine and very hurtful for me to imagine Jose Altuve playing in a Yankees uniform or a Dodgers uniform, or a Cubs uniform uh, at the end of his career. It's almost like that, and I don't want to just turn this off, Jim. Uh, Brian, it's almost like that year that Hakeem went to Toronto and did something. I don't know what he did. He didn't play basketball because um, as far as I know, he retired a rocket. Andy, I'm angry at you because I have blocked that out of my memory. Fair yeah, enough. I assume most of, our view, most of our viewers and listeners. Bouncy ball. Got it. No, no. Uh, Brian, like, I'm curious because you, you, um, even though this is going to be our romantic episode after this conversation, because it is Valentine's day or almost, but is there a part of you that's like, does, does the analytics match up? Does this make sense for the Astros or is this a contract that you're worried about? Or are you just glad he's here for life? Um, so first of all, my reaction was mostly romantic. Uh, you know, I was, uh, I was on my commuter train coming home when I when they announced when the uh, when the news leaked and you know they got off the train to walk home. I turned on Go Go Astros to listen to that. This is you know our guy. Um, this is um, not by war but by playoff success the best player in the history of the franchise. And certainly the other part of this, and this is where I'll start moving to the analytics side, is this is a contract where Altuve gave a lot, which is just as we sort of mentioned before. He could have squeezed uh, Jim Crane for every last dollar. He had leverage here. But in the end, what Jose Altuve wanted is to be in Houston, to play with this team. And, hey, that's the romantic part of this because, you know, when other players leave, they're like, well, yeah, that's this is a business. They treat it like a business, even though we're, we're, we're sort of we're leveraged against our love for this game and our love for our team in how the owners and players act. And we have to sometimes move away from our romantic side to say that, yes, I love George Springer, but Jim Crane decided not to offer him a contract, so I can't blame him for leaving, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Altuve made it pretty easy, you know, including, and this is important here, signing a five-year contract. 
point I made before, point I'll continue to make, point that is worth understanding. Jim Crane's biggest thing about contracts is not money, but years. He's never given out a contract for more than five free agent years. That's still true. And frankly, I suspect it will still be true over the next 12 months. And that leaves him with, what, one more year until he's 40 to yeah. do like a quick extension. Yeah, um, and he'll probably need an extra year to get to 3,000 3, hits. Um, but at, at that point, you know, the advertising kind of takes care of itself because yeah. every game will be 3,000 watch for that 40 years. And it's, uh, it's exciting to think if he will also get thrown out on the base pass after his 3,000 hit. I mean, he's got well, to. Right? It's more likely that he'll get thrown out trying to steal a base after he gets the hit. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I don't expect that at this point in his career, I don't expect that behavior to change no matter what Joe Espada <laughs> talked about, the fundamentals of base running. I was at least glad to hear Joe Espada talk about some of that stuff. Um, okay, but one last thing on this topic, though. One of the things we've noticed, because, Brian, you brought up the greatest Astro of all time. I think, obviously, he's in the conversation. But I don't know how did – did it irritate you to see that the only way to elevate him – as the best Astro of all time was then to denigrate the two hall of famers that came before him instead of just all sort of acknowledging the fact that both of, both of those people they're comparing to have done things. The other one hasn't done yet. So I don't know, um, Brian, did you notice any of that? I mean, did it irritate you as much as it irritated me? It is broadly a thing that kind of irritates me because to say that all two base that, you know, to say who the greatest Astro is of all time means you have to be better than, well, it's three guys who are in that con in that contest, right? Biggio, Bagwell, and Altuve. Hey, if Altuve, I would put Bagwell at the top. If Altuve ends up better than Bagwell, that's an impressive thing to get over. And if you look at it that way, you know, it fits much better with our Valentine theme today, I would think. Okay. Speaking of, Andy, as you answer the question, I, too, have just signed an extension. Uh, of course, I need to unbutton mine. How, are you, how tough were the negotiations with yourself? Mine were really, it's, it's really hard. Um, I basically empowered Orbit to uh, to negotiate for me. And so I basically have been signed for three chewed up baseballs and a bag of kibble. He has a very tough poker face. So uh, he, really, he really does. Doesn't give away much in a negotiation. Brian, uh, and I know the topic about denigrating the other two irritated you because you were taking people on on social media like, like well, it was your it's, it's asinine. And I do have an irrational like for Craig Biggio and, and Jeff Bagwell. So it, there's a bunch of stuff that goes on, especially with Bagwell, um, that just irritates me. Uh, some of it may be earned. Some of it may is certainly overblown, but I, I don't like it. Um, but from a standpoint of purely playing on the field, it makes no sense to me to denigrate, to lessen the accomplishments of Craig Biggio and Jeff Bagwell when you understand their context, not only for the Astros, but just in the history of baseball, there have been 20,532 major leaguers in the history of baseball since 1876. You can't, you, can, you can't even fill up Fenway Park, the smallest park in Major League Baseball, with the number of active major leaguers there have ever been. And so you take that small percentage of that number that are in the Hall of Fame, and then you say, well, not so much. Altuve is better because he won championships. And maybe he is. Maybe he's going to finish his 40-year, 40-year, uh, excuse me, age 40 playing year and have the most war that any Astros ever collected and the two championships to date and hopefully a couple more along the way put him way over the top. But all three of them are in the same conversation. 
just like you can't denigrate Ted Williams for never winning a, winning a World Series, uh, you can't denigrate Jeff Bagwell for never winning a World Series. You can't denigrate Craig Biggio. And there's a lot of recency bias towards the guys on this team. And if you follow the logic that some of these people are arguing with, um, Mike Fires is a better major leaguer than Ferguson Jenkins. That that and it makes no sense. Uh, but that's the that's what we're going. With. They want a championship. They're better. Yuli Gurriel is a better first baseman than Jeff Bagwell. I've seen that argument made. Yeah, and it's just asinine. These guys Eric are Fisher, one of the greatest Astros of all time. Exactly. It, it, it's just it, it's asinine. Um, I, I don't. This it's going to get off the theme of this show. I love Jeff Bagwell. I love Craig Biggio, and I love Jose Altuve. I even love Alex Bregman equally. Yeah, and I think. Um... I saw one guy who was arguing with uh, one of our friends of the show, uh, San Antonio Tim, and he goes, "Well, I've been watching the Astros since 1998," and I was like, "Wow, Tim, he's been watching since 1998, which means he missed most of Biggio and Bagwell's career, and only saw, particularly in Bagwell's case, the beginning of the declining in health." Uh, well, he was horrible in 2005. Yeah, he was terrible. That's <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Um, the only thing about 2005 that was horrible were the uniforms, but this is a different different show. Uh, look, pitchers and catchers are reporting. It is a Valentine's Day. Um, and I, one of the things I do in my editing class that I teach is I always teach Moneyball because I think one of the strengths of the storytelling in that movie is the edit and how they basically took a movie about numbers and sadness and and, and baseball movies with very little baseball and they made it very exciting and mostly through the edit. And But of course, one of the famous lines is how can you not be romantic about baseball? And I thought we should share a time when we've all been romantic with baseball and, and I'm actually going to begin um, in 2017, you know um, I'm sure you guys felt this felt the same way. That was the, uh, the postseason where you just waited for the other shoe to drop. It's what we had been used to. And I couldn't watch the last uh, third of the ALCS. I was too nervous. I was at a film festival and I had all these guys who um, treat baseball like, like I treat basketball, but because we were friends, they had brought Astros hats. They had gotten and they had went and got them and they were doing this stuff. And I wasn't even watching the game. Jessica was watching it and she would just do a thumbs up every time I'd look at her. And now I'm at, by the end of the game, I'm pretty hammered and I turn around and she's there making a baby kiss. She says, we're going to the world series. And I just started crying like unbelievably. So that was my, uh, my big romantic about baseball story. Whoever's next wants to jump in. I'm, I'm curious. I will offer the uh, some well, the story has some contrast in and of itself. In uh, summer of 2007, I moved here to New York, and I looked at the schedule and noticed that the Astros had a September series at Shea Stadium. So I bought two tickets and figured one of my new colleagues in New York, uh, someone would like baseball, and we could go to the game together. And um, here's the anti-romantic part of baseball. I walk into Shea Stadium and immediately I look up and what do I see? The right field foul pole. <laughs> and I realized how much trauma I had carried with me at that point, 21 years from having watched that blankety blank Lenny Dykstra hit that in game three of the AL, of the NLCS and had carried that with me from 13 to now when I was in my 30s. And, you know, happen. so that's part of the romantic part, right? Is that baseball can make us 
you know, we can be triggered by things 21 years later. But the other part of it was, is I've managed to keep all those emotions inside myself because the colleague I'd gone to the uh, game with was the uh, single woman who was a baseball fan. She's a big Red Sox fan. And I figured, you know, you know, we should go to the game together and hang out and talk. And by the fourth inning, I definitely wanted to ask her out on a real date. And uh, our child is really grateful that I did. (laughs) I do love that. I, I, to me, I, I love that. I, I love the, the randomness of moving to a new place, trying to make a friend, and then you end up making, you know, the love of your life. Indeed. Um, Andy. Uh, I mean, for me, it goes a little bit farther back. And I don't know if we've established that I'm the oldest person on the show, but I'm, I am the oldest person on the show. And so falling in love with the Astros was always a, there was always some heartbreak attached to it. Right. So mm-hmm. 1979, the Astros had jumped out to a fairly large lead in the NL West. And I think it was Sparky Anderson, but it might have been Tommy Lasorda because I just don't remember at this point. But it was the Reds or the Dodgers uh, that you were fighting every year to win that division. And the Astros jumped out to a lead. And I think it was Sparky Anderson said, don't worry about it. They're going to collapse like a lead balloon. And they proceeded to do that and lost the division by one and a half games. And that was back when two teams in each league made the playoffs. So that was heartbreaking. But the next year um, was when you started to figure, and I was nine, so I still believe good things could happen. Uh, that, that got quickly dashed. But the Astros finally won a division, and they did it in the most Astros way possible. They had to go to Los Angeles for a three-game series and just win one game. They just win one game. If they win the first game, they could rest their lineup. They could line themselves up for the uh, NLCS. It would have been great. Instead, they promptly lost all three of those games to lead to, I think, the first ever play-in game for the National League, or I guess the first division series, if you want to call it that game, in 1980 against those same Dodgers. So they got to play four games in a row. And even though I was starting to get to the idea that bad things happened to the Astros, because I was looking – for me, and there's a time frame of about 23 months where the Oilers lost twice in the AFC Championship Series to or Championship game to the Steelers. The Rockets lost to the Celtics in the 81 uh, NBA Finals. The Astros lost eventually to the Phillies three games to two when they were six outs away from the World Series twice, I think, and then lost again to the Dodgers in 1981 uh, in the ALD or NLDS, but. That one game, that one game where Phil Necro came up, excuse me, Joe Necro, not Phil Necro. I wanted to be Phil Necro a lot when I was a kid. Yeah, I bet you did. Phil was much better. Um, Joe Necro, who at one point was considered probably the greatest Astros pitcher, he's been passed up and probably lost to memory from a lot of guys, pitched a complete game. I think it was seven to one or seven to nothing. Um, it, it was an absolute dominating performance shut down the Dodgers, shut up Tommy Lasorda, which was my favorite part because he was not not the fun guy they like to portray him like as, they, you know, right before he died, um, but really more of a kind of an asshole that you had to play against and would point out how you how bad you were every time you played. Um, but that was the time that they actually did what you hoped they were going to do. And then it's kind of like your first hit a crack. You <laughs> hope you're gonna You hope you're going to get it again and you hope you're going to get it again quick. And for Astros fans, it was really like 1986 was the next time you were going to get it. And that was certainly not completely satisfying. And then it was the 90s, and then it was the mid-2000s. 
and it really wasn't until 2017 that everything finally came together for Astros fans. And so the romance is not in the championships. Those are great. The romance is in the suffering. And I think baseball is designed to do that, but it's in the suffering along the way until you get to that point. It's why it's really hard to respect that Yankees fans for me a lot because they have the 27 rings to fall back on when they're having hard times like they are now because you know, they can't fire their GM. Um, sorry, Emily. But no, it's funny though, because I, I do think, um, you know, I, I do a show with Emily that'll be back in, in February at the end of this month. And, but even she will focus more on anecdotes about, about the, the times that it's been heartbreaking for her. Like, and she does, and even in her lifetime, she's got like five championships or something, but it doesn't matter. It's oh, you're always going to remember to me, the Howie Kendrick home run is always going to be what I, the first thing I think of. Too soon. Team. Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> Sorry. Um, all right. Well, to speaking of too soon, we actually are going to have to wrap up a little bit early today. Um, I have to get to school. I had to stay a little bit late at home because I have a baby dog who cannot handle uh, being alone and Jessica's out of town. But we will be back next week. I know one of the topics I want to talk about next week, guys, is all the projections are turning up Astros. Well, how much of that do we believe? How much of it do we not? And then we'll hopefully get to talk about a little bit of spring training stuff. And so uh, until next time, for Andy Zip. And for at Orange Fire, so I'm doing your X handles. Uh, I'm James Christopher, and we will be back next week. Go Strohs. Go Strohs. It's the start of college baseball this week. Go Strohs. There you go. That's a good happy note.